0: Are you ready to live a better life? Do you want to have fulfilling relationships with your partner, children, boss, colleagues? Do you want to learn how to overcome obstacles and challenges that are an inevitable part of our everyday life interactions? You have tuned in to the right podcast. Doris Horenstein, author of Moments of the Heart, is ready to do just that. Sit back. Listen and enjoy the learning as Doris shares her stories, Jewish wisdom, and a bit of the Hebrew language and makes this world her classroom. See you again also. How are you? <laughs> well, Facebook friends,
1: listeners, YouTube viewers, uh, there is a beautiful treat for you today. I have connected through Geography Through Over the Ocean with Maura Dolan, who is a positive intelligence coach, executive coach, trainer of coaches, resides in Ireland, and the author of The Collaborative Nature of Coaching. And we can all learn from her. So whatever you do for the next 10, 15 minutes, let's concentrate, let's focus in and listen in to the wisdom that is going to be shared with you today regarding coaching. So, Mora, thank you so much for joining me today. And as a relatively new coach, I've been an educator for 30 years and a speaker on stages, but positive intelligence coaching has been new to me. And I wanted to ask you, what do you believe, and since you have been so experienced with coaching over two decades, what do you think has been the changes that you've seen in the geography of coaching since you begin it a um, couple decades ago?
0: Uh, wonderful question, Doris, and thank you very much. And thank you very much for having me on your show and in your program. It's absolutely a fantastic honor. Um, I, I'm a, a great advocate of, of what you do because I know we've worked together through Positive Intelligence, and I mostly say, great. Great energy and bring great enthusiasm to to everything you do. So thank you, Doris. Pleasure to be working with you. So I I guess, yeah, it's an interesting thing. When I trained myself originally in coaching over 20 years ago at this stage, um, it was quite funny. The first coach training course I did, I'd say, was what I would call very embryonic, very basic. Um, And then I got involved myself in training people in executive coaching skills and life life and executive coaching skills as well as working as as an executive coach. And what I've certainly seen over the last 20 years is an evolution of the rigor uh, behind something like how coaches qualify and train. Um, You know yourself, going for your ICF accreditation is quite quite an in-depth process. There's a lot involved in it in terms of number of hours that you've to practice your coaching skills, in terms of evidence that you've got to give of CPD, in terms of evidence that you've got to give of supervision. And these are all little pieces that have evolved over years and years and years, Doris, and they've all been added in the process over the, over the last number of years to really, I think, professionalize the, the skill of coaching and, and that piece around coaching. And I guess what you almost compare it a little bit to is when I started off training as a coach, counselling was probably a couple of stages ahead of us, cycles ahead of us in in, in their rigour and in underpinning their training processes. And and I think we have very much now followed and kept up with them over the last number of years. And it's fantastic to see, I think, the level of ethical rigour. That, that is now there, you know, embedded in, in, in well-qualified coaches who are well-accredited to good, good organizations.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I totally have seen that. And I'm new relatively into this world. And I've seen the professionalism and the level, yeah. the high level of accountability for coaches. And yeah. in, while in the past, maybe the word coach can be thrown away to anybody, can be a coach. Now it's more and and there are levels of coaches. Right. And yes. the more you practice and the more you hone in on your expertise, the better you become. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Arthur Mora, what made you want to write your book, The Collaborative Nature of Coaching?
0: A uh, really good question. So, again, I guess, based on the fact I've been delivering coach training courses for over 20 years, I just felt, Doris, I had a, a huge wealth of knowledge that was going to add value to people who are involved in, in training as coaches, both as life and executive coaches from a professional point of view, but also as leaders and as managers. And, and I felt it was worth sharing my experiences and my insights and my knowledge and bringing it together in a book. And over the last 20 years, I have developed certainly a very good courseware manual that I that, that, that I would share with people who attend my coach training courses. But I just thought it was a value to put that into a book. Funny thing about it, Doris, was I thought I would pull this together very quickly because I have so much information and I have a really good, robust training manual. But putting it into a book and positioning it to the lens of, of leaders and managers, as well as people who are training as coaches, it was quite a diff- different different um, context, I guess. And actually took me a huge amount longer that, than I anticipated, Doris. So,
1: I totally hear that.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, my book, uh, Moments of the
1: Heart, you would think that it would just flow out. And it did, but it took a long time. I compare it to pregnancy. You know, you have nine months of pregnancy. And for me, it was more than nine months. But uh, at the end was the most painful part, is to get it out of me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and and, you know, Dorisa, I absolutely so totally understand what you're saying. Because I know even for myself, that piece of a uh, birthing it if we're going to use that analogy was was really difficult and you know what I found and here we are both coaches and both well qualified and well experienced and everything but you know we still had to push ourselves out of our comfort zones to put ourselves out there to be vulnerable to say I actually think I have something that's going to add value to other people and and not to think oh god people are people going to reject this what are they going to how are they going to react to it and there's all these emotions that I felt and I'm sure you had to also overcome and it's very illustrative of, of how you have to work with other people as well. In turn, you have to be able to do it for yourself before you can do it for others.
1: That's so true. Uh, And you know, you, you're right with the fear. The fear plays and an it's such an instrumental place in our brain, unfortunately. And for me with my book, the moment that I realized that I am serving other people by bringing this book to reality, just like I'm, we are serving people with our coaching skills and yeah. we want to help. I think that is a paradigm change in our thinking yeah. rather than me, me, me. And for myself, it's what can I do for you and what legacy I want to leave for my children? So yeah. we really take us out of the equation for a little bit.
0: Yeah, I would totally agree with you. Absolutely, and and it is as you call it it's a paradigm shift, or it's a fr- reframe, whatever way we want it to, to, to message it. But that's exactly what it is. We've got to reframe it into into seeing that it's not about us. This is about. What is a benefit we can give to other people? And, and really believing in the process as well. I think um, Darius is very important, isn't it? In, yes. in offering, give back to other people. Yes. Uh, so that's significant.
1: I love that. So that lead, lead, leads me to the next question that I had, because you have a chapter about what does it mean to be a good coach? And then you had another question, another chapter. What does it mean to be an executive coach? Can you tell us the difference? Can a good coach be also good executive coach and vice versa?
0: I, and again really really good powerful question Doris and, and the way I explain this to people, when I'm, I'm training when I'm training people in coaching skills <coughs> excuse me is the basic skill set is the same it's the same 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 you need to go through establish being developing yourself as a very non-judgmental person develop your active listening skills develop all those key communication skills understanding how the brain works understand behavioral systems and all those elements are relevant to both people's lives, as well as the executive coaching context. And and the funny thing about it, Doris, is I I think some people struggle. Again, it goes back to fear. They have this fear of the executive world and they have this this fear of senior executive people and they forget that these people live and breathe and as humans and and as human and have the same challenges as anybody else. And once we can make this leap and, and, you know, just be comfortable with that. I think that's that's the place where you can bridge the two between life coaching and executive coaching. Basic skill sets are the same. The other thing I suppose I would say is certainly going into, for example, organizations in, in an executive coaching role, you do need to have some sort of an understanding of the culture of an organization. So, for example, if I'm working predominantly with an organization that has predominantly engineers involved i need to understand a bit about how do engineers process how are they going to see information um how rational are they going to be versus emotional are they going to be and pieces like that will certainly impact on on how it will influence and how you'll approach coaching people like that versus if it's life coaching you know you you might be dealing with completely different uh, behavioral system or processing system w- with a person. So they, to me, have some of the key elements, really recognizing what might be the, the the underlying traits of a person depending on the type of industry they work in. Yeah, you're making,
1: me, you're making me think about, you know, knowing, and it's good for, I think it's applicable to coaching and executive coaching, is knowing yeah. the pinpoint of the client, right? Yeah. So it could be the client, could be the organization or the client can be the individual. What is the yes. pain point for them? And and then talk about the pain point rather than the, the particular individuals. What is the problem? What is the issue?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What is the topic that for which mm-hmm. you need to be there for
0: them as a coach? Absolutely. And as, as we say in coaching, lounge, I guess, meet the person or the more organization where they're at. Yeah. And I think if you're holding true to those sort of underlying principles, that's going to create effective coaching, be it in a life situation or an executive coaching situation. You know, the funny thing, Doreen, as well, what I've come across and I don't know what your experience of this has been. I know there are some executive coaches who actually are very uncomfortable going into life coaching because they would do much more process coaching, coaching towards goals, tasks, that type of an orientation. Whereas I think to be a really good, effective coach, you need to be able to bridge the piece between the person. And, and the actual task and whatever's been addressed as, you know, from, from a coaching perspective. To me, that's a huge skill set as well. Absolutely. Daryl.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. You, I, think, I think you coach the person, not the task.
0: Absolutely.
1: You, and to me, yeah. it all boils down to relationships. I, and I think that's when the true value of coaching is because you need uh, to be aware of who you are, have an awareness of who you are. And what is it, what sabotage in positive intelligence language, right? What sabotage us from being the best that we can and deliver the best outcomes we want in the professional arena, but also in the private arena, in our personal life?
0: Absolutely. Oh, I absolutely agree. And even and I know we spoke about this ourselves earlier on, even that, and I know something you tend to focus on as well is very much the relationship coaching piece and how stress impacts on that as well and how when one is stressed, that impact on relationships. I think it was what Mike Tyson said um Something like it's it's, it's it's all very well to, stay, to talk about staying calm under pressure until somebody boxes you in the face. And my <laughs> choice is very much, you know, <laughs> go to be a, a, a relevant person, to make a comment like that. But, you know, it's fine until the stress and the pressure comes on. And as a coach has said, working with people, as you say, to get them to understand how to manage their behaviors and the responses under yeah. those situations and avoid those amygdala hijacks, avoid those brain hijacks the internal narrative set us back.
1: Yes, talking about the, the brain, you had on page 184, because I read your book, um, Yeah, so you talked about how the mind works. Yes. And how the mind works. And you said that the brain is the hardware and the neurology of the brain is the software. And I just love that. Can you yeah. tell more about this? Because it's so lines up with positive intelligence, but- yeah. Tell us more about the
0: brain and the influence because I'm really into that a lot. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's, it's real. And thanks for identifying that because that is even how I explain the way the brain works when I'm, when I'm working with, with people as well. So, what I talk about is if you take the brain as the hardware, it's a, a, a combination of between 120 and 180 billion cells, like little neurological electrical messages that construct our brain. And that's in itself two to three pounds in weight, how many, about one and a half kilograms in weight. You know, and that is that organism, right? And 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 that is the hardware of it. But within that, we have laid down from birth, as you will read in my book, little snapshots and vignettes of how our world is formed. And people with even the best um, experiences of being parented and the best experience of childhood, we still create our stories and we still create our narratives, depending on nature and nurture and lots of different influences. We still create our own internal impressions of how we see our world. And that is where the software comes in and really, and I think this is where we have this shared commonality and and interest as well, Doris, is is this piece around how do you get people to make that 1% shift in those internal narratives in that software that really creates an impact and an improvement. And I am a great believer in one percent shifts, one percent shifts, one percent shift. It's like going to the gym. You don't bench press fifty kilogram before you bench press two kilogram. You have to take it slowly, slowly, slowly. And and it's also that consistent uh, piece of you know it's ongoing. It's not that you stop after week two or three or four or five or six. It's that consistent maintenance for ourselves of reinforcing that messaging within our brain to to help us just to, to keep keep managing change. And again, exactly I, I, I love exactly
1: that. like what positive yeah. intelligence is saying, right? It's that you can have the aha moment and that's maybe 20% the insight, but then it's 80% mental fitness. It's the working, it's the practice. It's a, it's a continuous buildup. So absolutely resonate with me.
0: And, and the one other thing I, I, I would always say to people, I know th- this makes total sense to you as well, Doris, is, you know, people have this idea that their brain controls them. But in fact, the question is, do you control your brain or does it control you? And again, I would always speak to people about take back control. Are you going to let those non-skulls in your brain run around and control you? And those stories and narratives, are you going to take back control and say to them, Look, thank you very much. I know you're trying to keep me safe, but you know what? Fear is a good thing to work through because that's the way I will learn, or whatever you know,
1: the message is. You know, I was just, I'm in the process of reading another book that's yeah. called. Your Brain is Your Body by Amanda Blake. And yes. she's talking about the fact that the body is sending messages to the brain. It's not that the brain send messages to the body always. It it's, it's, it's goes back and forth.
0: 100%. Yeah. Oh,
1: yes. Absolutely. Yes. So yeah. you had a beautiful sentence in your book. It says, if you expect something different, some, something different will happen.
0: Yes, it is.
1: And I love that because I agree with that. I agree with that idea of positivity and thinking and training our mind to think about positive things, because there's a lot of negative chatter that goes into our mind, into everyone's mind.
0: Absolutely, and 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 again, it's a, it's a very powerful point to raise, Theresa. And like even today, I was working with somebody, and was explaining to them even that piece around the goal setting. You know, if you expect something different, something different will happen. But you have to give your 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 brain a, a message of positivity of looking for su- a, a successful outcome. Um, and I, I guess I play a bit of golf and I guess it's like, you know, when I say to people, you're standing up there on a particular hole, you're about to swing your golf club and, and you see a pond of water in front of you between you and the green. Right. And you say to yourself, whatever you do, don't put the golf ball in the water. Where does the golf ball go? <laughs> What's the message? eh? Doesn't understand negative, don't, and then it goes looking for you. The message you get, look for the water. Where's the water? Where's the water? Because that's the way the brain works. It's like the child walking down the street, you know, and then the dad says, Whatever you do, don't drop your ice cream. What happens? <laughs> you know, and then the daughter says, Daddy, how can you read my mind? You know, poor child. we after that message. I love that, you know, which,
1: which brings me to the very last questions and point I wanted to make about your book. You talked about empowering beliefs versus disempowering beliefs and how, what we can empower ourselves with the beliefs that we have. Can you uh, talk a little bit about that part?
0: Yeah. And again, you know, it is the exact same idea, I guess, um, just you know, explore it in a little bit more depth. So you know, we can take the attitude that money is the root of all evils, or money is is the process by which I can structure my life to achieve what I want, and 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 is the story we tell ourselves that creates the reality. Um, you know, I'm just trying to think. You know, if 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 you continuously worry about money, I mean, that just to, for just as an example that just totally undermines yourself and it totally sells to a negative message. So the messaging we give ourselves about our belief systems and our assumptions and our attitudes influences how, how we, how we achieve outcomes. Um, That's so important.
1: I love that. You talked in your book about the concept of habituation when we get constantly into the same mindset of thinking and that actually, that habituation causes the reality to be what it is. And because I am coming from a a Jewish education background with a lot of knowledge of the Hebrew language, I think you would be interested to to know that the word reality in Hebrew and the Mm -hmm. word to find something is sharing the same letters. And in my tradition, whenever it shares the same letters, that means that there is an underneath meaning that it's maybe not on the surface. So, So the way I explain it is, whatever your reality is is what you find so if if you are if your reality is positive and upbeat and you that's what you're going to find but if you are making your reality gloom and doom end of days negative overwhelmed stress that's
0: what you will find absolutely and 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 you know another way i i of explaining that and and it's it's as basic as this stories if 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 somebody is going out to buy something tomorrow say for example a car so i'll often use something like that or beautiful outfit like you're wearing tonight that gorgeous animal print that i love so much so you're going out there and you're what you identify you want to buy yourself a new coat for example right and you think okay what i love in a coat is a beautiful leopard print like that and lovely shades of gold and browns and everything else in it what do you suddenly begin to see and notice everywhere? Coats that look like coats, clothes, everything, shoes, but everything that looks like a beautiful animal print because that's the focus, that's the messaging you've given your brain. And, and, and again, it's, it's, this isn't just as you say, it's not just about um, airy, fairy, positive thinking. It's actually rooted in science because that's the way the brain works. It, it actually begins to activate based on the messaging you give it. And a very simple way of putting it, and I, I speak about it in the book, and, and it's only a very kind of high-level of time but so We have in our brain what we call the reticular activation system, the RAS. And that's only a very tiny part of the brain, but we use it as an example. very tiny part of the brain that activates our, our, our mind when we focus on looking for something. It goes out to look for that and to eliminate everything else. So when you're looking at coats and you think of beautiful leopard brain coats, you, you suddenly don't start seeing red coats, you see leopard print codes, and that's the way the brain works.
1: Yes, just and in green. and in a, and sometimes you know I hear you know when you're looking for a red car or a yeah. yellow car, suddenly you see all these red cars in the street, right? Absolutely.
0: So yeah, and, and eliminates everything else. That's right. So if we're if we're looking for something that is success or what looks like success or positive or whatever it was the brain will look that for that if you give the message to look for something that's negative, to eliminate everything else and look for the negative. You're absolutely right. That
1: was such a positive time spending with you. And I was looking for it and I found it right here in this positive (laughs) space. So, Maura, darling, um, how can people connect with
0: you, get your book, um, seek you for coaching and so on? Well, thank you very much. So I, I guess, first of all, book, The Collaborative Nature of Coaching. It's available on Amazon. Um, so that's one place to find me under the name Clouds of Native Coaching, Maura Dolan. Uh, also, I'm on LinkedIn as M A U R A, Maura L A N, Dolan. And then my website is www.leci. So that's Life and Executive Coaching Institute, L E C I dot I E. So www.leci.ie. Uh, so yeah, there okay,
1: Thank you so much. And by the way, if you are just driving and listening to this in a podcast and it will all be in the notes of this show today. Thank you so much, Maura, for taking the time and, and empowering all of us new coaches, as well as veteran coaches, as well just listen, people who listen to gain understanding of what coaches do, what is positive intelligence, calls for for us, the two of us being positive intelligence coaches, and uh, and just connecting with the, the universe. So thank you so much, Maura, for being here. And everybody, see you later. Thank you very much. Make this day the best day that it can be for you.
0: And thank you, Gerice, again for the invitation. Fabulous working with you. Take care.